point of contention, contention, I don't know, maybe that's a bit strong, but how much longer until we stop just removing vowels from words and that becomes a product or a brand or something like that? I didn't think that was still happening. Part of it is like you got to find a URL, so you have to misspell stuff like Lyft. Yeah, that's true. But there's a meditation app called Mindful, and it's just M-N-D-F-L. Oh, jeez. I don't even know what half of these are. One of them is Modern, which is a real estate website in New York, and it's M-D-R-N. I'm wondering when we're going to go back to just using full-blown words here. Maybe it's just all vowels. A-E-I-O-U, and then I will create another company called And Sometimes Why. Welcome to Touchpoint a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 304. That's Chris Boyer, and I'm Reed Smith. I just went out and bought the domain BYR.com. Buyer? No, Boyer. Boyer.com. Oh, okay. Except except sometimes I should not have the Y, so maybe I should just do BR.com. You know, I do have a Gmail account where my last name is missing the I because uh, Reed Smith at Gmail wasn't available at the time. <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't realize I was that like progressive, and it's not an email address I use, so... Uh, you can email me there if you want. Uh, good chance I'm not going to see it. Actually, there's a 100% chance I'm not going to see it. But, <laughs> uh, anyway, welcome to the show, everybody. We certainly appreciate uh, you tuning in for yet another episode of Touchpoint, or if this is your first time, welcome. Just a little bit of orientation, a little bit of housekeeping before we get started. If you Touchpoint.health is the website. We'd love for you to navigate over there. Uh, what that will do is two things. One, you can check out uh, past episodes of the show. But secondly, and maybe even more importantly, there's something called the TPS report. And if you will click on that link, you'll notice it up in the top navigation of the site. If you click on that link, it'll ask you for your name and your email address. And really all we use that for, not really all, literally all we use that for is to send you one email a week. Each Monday morning, you will get an email from us with five articles to start your week. That's it. So hopefully you'll find that valuable in some way to maybe uh, kind of launch off some uh, into some thought-provoking ideas or uh, maybe even fill you in on some things that are going on in the industry. So we'll pause here for just one second, let you go there. Again, touchpoint.health, and you can sign up for the TPS report, and then we'll be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. 
And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Today's episode has a a pretty uh, controversial title. As people listening in, they may have been clickbaited into listening into our Uh show today. But, you know, we're not one to uh, rise above clickbaiting. We think it works pretty well sometimes in our space. <laughs> but um, but in, in this particular case, I think there's some rationale around us talking about social media and the way that the social media as we know it is dead, so to speak. Social media as we knew it certainly is dead. I mean, is social media topically dead? No, probably not. I mean, I mean, certainly it's not. It's evolving. You know, there's new platforms and ways and people coming onto these platforms that really change the validity of them. You know, a good example that I point to is um, Twitter. You know, Chris and I, you and I I met there and a lot of us met there. I mean, that's kind of how this all started for many of us, that's how we met folks like Lee Acey at the Mayo Clinic or uh, Ed Bennett, uh, who at the time was at the University of Maryland Medical Center and, and many others that were known in this space, if you will. I grabbed both URLs, which that's still handy, but also Twitter handles for all my children when they were born. So my kids, unlike any of their friends, have their actual names on on Twitter, right? Which wow. is which is not common anymore, I would guess, if you sign up for Twitter today. Here's the deal, though. No one cares. They don't want, I mean, not that they don't want them, but that's not where they communicate, right? They're on Snapchat primarily, like my son with his with his friends and stuff. It's not as big of a deal. It's important for various reasons, but, but not the way you and I did. So it's dead in the sense of like how, maybe how we thought this was going to go. Um, but it's not dead in the sense of like, you know, as an industry or a topic or a modality. I think it's the nature of social media apps and social media companies because they're really high-tech companies. And high-tech companies, very few of them tend to have long-staying power. I think a good way to kind of uh, start the conversation is let's take a look at the state of the state of social media. And we're going to take inspiration from an email that I I get from the New York Times that I sent to you it came out last week, and it was called uh, the the headline of the email or the subject line of the email says the top social media apps are struggling after a decade of dominance. It was authored by the New York Times um, technology writer Kevin Roos, and it was a really interesting article, and it had a really great overview of what's going on with social media companies because the industry itself has had a pretty rough year and social media companies have been hit pretty hard. So let's go into like kind of his breakdown of how the different social media companies are faring at this time. The big one is Meta, right? And and that's a little bit new in, in recent years, if you will. You know, we talked about Facebook and Instagram as separate entities for the longest time. And so we're kind of talking about those as as one or one company. As we think about Meta, the aforementioned Facebook and Instagram, that is what everybody thinks about, right? But they are on the decline. 
as far as utilization goes. And really everybody's on the decline except for for TikTok. And so as we have new users, like I was talking about with my kids, as we have new people coming into the space, that's not where they're gravitating, right? I find myself using Facebook less and less. I'm still on Instagram quite a bit, but it talks about that they've lost billions of dollars in advertising revenue because of the big changes like Apple made in, in uh, you know last year to its OS. Uh, and it makes it harder to track users across the internet. So with all the privacy things, and we, you know, you and I have talked about that, you know, as an aside, go to the website, you can find that episode and hear more about that. But, you know, I, I think, you know, a lot of investors, they call it in here are skeptical uh, about what Zuckerberg is doing in kind of the big bet on the metaverse. Yeah. And not to mention their stock price has dropped like crazy. Now, I will say I did hear from a, a nurse, Bonnie Clipper, who has a show here on the network. There are nursing schools that have already bought real estate in the metaverse and are educating nurses that way. Another topic for another day. But the point being, everybody's still like, I'm not sure about this. I mean, it's a lot. There's still a lot of money there, but the future of it, it's unsure. OK, let's talk about another one of these companies that's getting a lot of headlines lately, and that's Twitter. You know, their new owner, Elon Musk, and the author was took a, a measured approach to this and actually indicates here that this new era of Twitter with uh, the Musk controlled Twitter or the Musk era of Twitter. First of all, there's a lot of, a lot of challenges, the staffing, firing of employees and stuff like that. That's like kind of been the big topic of discussion of late content moderation is also top of mind. And I know that there are plays or advances that they're suggesting about how he's going to try to manage that a little bit better but Twitter also has a lot of other challenges normally outside of the new management. The company has rarely turned a profit and the growth on Twitter is slowing as well. While right now, it's a lot of people are kind of keeping an eye out for what's going on with Twitter and it's not, no longer going to be publicly shared. The future is kind of out on what's going to happen there. I would love to see Twitter be the dominant platform because that's the one that makes sense to me. I have a hard time reading an email. I'm like, this is way too long. <laughs> I didn't like the idea of moving from 140 to 280 characters. If that gives you any, any <laughs> but I just don't know. I think for certain news related things, it still works pretty well. And for folks like my age or your age or whatever, I think it's still a good, like, for example, following sports teams and reporters and things like that, like, it's still pretty good for that. Like, hey, heard this, saw this, here's a link, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm just, I don't know that that's what people are wanting. That's where I worry a little bit about kind of where we're headed. You know, the next thing they talk about in here is TikTok. And that's where people, you know, that and Snapchat, which we'll talk about in a minute, are kind of where the younger generation is spending all their time. It's very visual, obviously. Not that you can't share images on the other ones. But that's not what it's central around. You know, our intention span has gotten so short, this idea of just scrolling and moving and moving and moving and moving, you know, just these bite-sized, you know, chunks of content. It's just a different way to, I guess move that content in front of people. Well, and then also that the kind of the concerns around who's regulating the data behind this, right? It's a Chinese-based company. And so there's a lot of concern around, and I've seen recent posts about, is all this data being used by the Chinese government to spy on us? I don't know. If the government weighs in on TikTok, and I know that there has been advances in that regard as well, 
that could really blow this up as well in the United States, if you think about it. I don't think they will. But that's just one to keep on keep in mind. Let's round out this part of the conversation, Reed, to talk about Snapchat, because Snapchat is still very popular among young people. It's not necessarily the most predominant app right now. TikTok is getting all that attention and others. But Snap has tried to get into advertising. And unfortunately, during the economic downturn of this year, that's been hit. And recently, the company laid off 20% of its workers. And not to mention, Snapchat is also kind of privy to Apple's privacy changes, like we talked about with Facebook. So targeting ads is going to be even harder to do on iPhone. As we look at that, and with the active users, they're still growing, but just wondering if it's going to keep going. I I think the question is, is Snapchat going to be a viable social app in a few years? So the question, I think, is you know the, the business model, right? Like, how do you make money? Because I think the functionality of the platform and the idea that even if not real, the perceived idea of privacy, like, hey, you know, we can send messages back and forth and they disappear. And there's some sort and plus people don't want to see ads. Like that's all fine and good until somebody actually needs to make money. That's where the crux of this is a little bit of the balance of this is like, okay, well, this is all fine and good. But unless they can bring in advertising dollars, I don't know how they can afford to sustain the path they're on. I think that's a really good observation there. It's the business model. And I I know that you and I have said before that on social media, the product is the user, is you, right? Is the user. right? And so that becomes a bit of a challenge. You're either going to try to get the user to spend more money, or you're going to mine that user for all of the data and use that data as your commodity to to monetize your, your platform. The prognosis is not good for all of these social channels, for social media in general. After the break read, let's come back and let's start to talk through yours and my perspective on why social media may be dead for people in the hospital health system setting. We'll do that right after this pause. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Before the break, Reed, you and I were talking about like just a general overview of the business of social media. And recently, I gave a presentation at the Mission Conference. And Mission, for those of you who may not know, stands for the Minnesota Health Strategy and Communication Network. Again, can we buy a vowel here? I don't know. Not to make fun of them, but... Are they launching their own platform? (laughs) Exactly. Can I sign up for a user account? (laughs) In this presentation, I talked a little bit about some of the challenges that we in hospitals and health systems have with social media. So why don't we dive in a little bit into this, Reed? Because I think... You know, as we talk about it, for in our use case, it's a little bit different 
than other brands. Would you agree? I think it is. I mean, I, I think certainly it is. Uh, I don't think people think about buying healthcare. It's more reactionary to some extent, for, or at least for the vast majority of people, right? And it's just, I don't know, man. I, I just, I get nostalgic about this a little bit, I guess. But as we think about social, it, just because that's where you and I originated in this space to some extent, or as, at least in the way people know us today. It's funny to think about the the book. We are published authors in the uh, uh, are. social space, right? Uh, and it means basically nothing. <laughs> it's just, no, I, I think there's still some good concepts uh, in that book, and uh, we'll put a link to it or whatever. But I think it's just kind of funny to think about, right? Of just like, well, how, you know, we've been doing this for so long. Yeah. And that book, by the way, is called Bringing the Social Media Revolution to Healthcare. That's how idealistic we were. But let's talk about some of the challenges now that we are facing in this space, Reed. I outlined four areas that to, to talk through. The first one is around content. Think about us in hospitals and health systems. The kind of content that we typically create that gets published in social media channel doesn't necessarily reflect against the type of content that's most popular. In fact, uh, Sprout Social recently posted Social Media Trends for 2022 and Beyond, and in it, they outlined the different types of engaging content on social media by type. And wouldn't you know it, the most prominent of that type of content is short-form video. 66% of consumers report short-form video as the most engaging type of social media content. And that's up from 50% just two years ago. I did a study like this about Facebook specifically, the types of Facebook content, like in 2012 or something, which was might as well have been the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> but it was very, it's, it's funny because it's very similar in nature of this idea that like everybody was posting status updates, right? But the most engaging was like uh, photography, you know, or images at the time. This speaks to the same thing. I mean, people are visual. They want to see stuff. Um, the short form video kind of falls in line with what we're seeing from a platform success, right? With, with uh, initially Instagram and now certainly Snapchat and TikTok and all that kind of stuff. So I, it, no, no huge shocker there with the least or the lowest being links out to other content, leaving those platforms, right? Yep, exactly. But also think about, we do a lot of long form video in our space, right? We The patient testimonials or the doctor talking about his services and the life-changing care that we do. Long form video is like one of the lowest as well. It's like only 24% is engaging compared to 66% for short form video, right? So are we talking about maybe all you have to do is cut up your long form video and post it in a short form? No, actually, Reed, that's not the kind of short form video we're talking about here that's most engaging. And in fact, think about like TikTok, think about Instagram Reels, think about YouTube Shorts, all of these kind of short form videos that we're talking about, I actually, in the in the presentation, I, I presented a, a slide that shows all the different types of short form video content that can be posted out there. And if you look at them side by side, they all look kind of like they're the same. They're these vertical videos with overlays of like content. And maybe you put on, you know, like images on top of it or gifts or whatever on top of it. And they all kind of look the same, but they really aren't the same. 
And what I mean by that is, is that the content that you put in TikTok has to be formatted for TikTok and not just formatted by the content type, the way you you have to subtitle it and you have to put it in a certain way and you have to use their own platforms to publish onto TikTok. And if you're doing that for Instagram, you have to use Instagram's own format. The way your hashtag strategies are different. So while the content looks the same, the videos look the same, it's different across every platform. And that's a challenge for us because what's the one adage that we always have read about creating content for social platforms? We want to create it once and publish it everywhere, right? Yeah. Well, we can't do that anymore. Yeah, I mean, you got to add an extra E in there, right? Create once and edit and publish everywhere. Philosophically still true, right? I mean, you want to be able to maximize the use of, of this content. But the idea that you're going to take literally the same, in this case, video file, and then just upload it all these places is probably not true. I mean, maybe you can get away with it across a few of them, and then you got to kind of change it up for a few, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really interesting point that, again, at face value, it looks all pretty straightforward, right? Oh, they're all video-based pieces of content, and that's what people are, you know, and it's all, generally speaking, portrait It's just not quite that clean anymore. It's not that clean. And the last point about content is, is that as you kind of alluded to is in in terms of just putting links on content and linking it out as the least engaging, well, social media platforms are not doing that anymore. All of the networks reward content that's natively posted in their platforms. So the days of a social media management system where you could kind of put content in one place and it publishes to multiple places, those social platforms are going to demote it. It's not going to perform as well. The whole point is they're creating these walled gardens of social platforms. They're saying, if you want to play in Facebook, you have to post in Facebook. If you want to play in TikTok, you have to post natively in TikTok. I know we saw a lot of like TikTok stuff posted on Instagram, but that's the day of that's going away. So the content is an issue for us in healthcare. But there's another problem, Reed. It's the problem about it's not being free anymore. Remember the early days, we said, Uh, oh, social media is great. It's free. It isn't free anymore. It is free, technically, unless you want meaningful results. So, I mean, could you execute on social media without spending money? And I'm taking salary, wages, and benefits out of the equation, you know, people out of the equation. Could you execute on social media for free? I mean, yeah, you can. It's probably not going to lead to much of anything. <laughs> yes. No one will see it. That's the problem. <laughs> right? Let me share with you some stats. Now, imagine this. Okay, I'm going to have like a teeter-totter. On one side is the reach of organic social media. So that's the free stuff. Okay. And on the other side is the amount of spend on paid social. In 2018, read. Organic social media reach was at 7.7%. Okay, the reach of organic social was 7.7. Not a lot, but at least it was 7.7. On the paid side, about $29 billion were being spent on social channels, across all social channels. Well, that was the heyday of Facebook, wasn't it? Maybe-ish. Flash forward a year. In 2019, organic social reach dropped. One year later... Dropped by over 2%. It's now, it was at 5.5% reach. Meanwhile, over on the paid side, it went up 
about $7 billion. More people were spending on social, I think, to make up for the fact that organic reach was going down. The teeter-totter is tilting even more because the following year in 2020, organic social dropped again, just a little bit, down to 5.2%. But another $4 billion went up on the paid side of the house. We just rounded up a little bit. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, $4 billion, I mean, like, that's not... That's a rounding error, right? In this space. (laughs) (laughs) One year later, though, Reed, 2021, the most recent stats, organic social reach is now at an all-time low of 2.9%. 2.9%. Whereas on the paid side, we're now paying close to $50 billion on advertising, promoting our posts. For what? For the same content, to get that same content in front of people, right? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, like, what are we getting out of it? You know, which is, again, that's a, maybe a different topic for a different day. But to go from just in the course of a couple of years, from 28, almost 29 billion up to almost 50 billion, you know, to go up $20 billion over the course of just a handful of years, a couple of years, why would you not keep decreasing the social reach and just see if they can keep milking more money out of you know you know what I mean? Yeah. We've gotten to a place where it's like you have to do these things. You gotta pay to play. Yeah. But get this, Reed, and we've covered in this show before, the social platforms are not accurately reporting on the efficacy of their advertising. In fact, there was an article recently in Gizmodo that was titled Facebook announces its fake ad numbers are going to get even faker. that's crazy they're misleading us on how effective your advertising is i'm going to do that internally i'm just going to start reporting just absurd numbers for our efforts this is amazing i'm like yeah man it's not true but i just thought i would share these numbers exactly exactly and then top it all off what do we like most about social media advertising is that you could target people Remember, back in in March, Facebook Meta even said, we're going to remove detailed targeting options related to topics people perceive as sensitive, like health causes. Yeah, you used to be able to, man, back in the glory days, we could target all kinds of stuff. And then a little bit of that went away a few years ago, you know, a few of the targeting, you know, parameters. But yeah, now it's, it's, I mean, you might as well be just running awareness marketing to a zip code in a lot of cases. It really is getting that bad. But let's go even further, Reed. There's, there's this whole other false concept that if people follow you on social media, they're going to see your content. Well, clearly, you have to start paying to get in front of people because it's not true. You and I covered the this whole concept about like, you know, how artificial intelligence and the algorithms of social media are kind of changing. And so they're not even targeting your content to your own followers anymore. The head of Facebook says, we're really not going to put too much limitations on showing recommended content to existing followers in our feed. That's not where we're going to go. They're moving in a whole different direction. We can't even count on our natural audience that we built on these social platforms to see the stuff that we post anymore. We're going to have to still pay to get it to them. That's crazy to me. I think the early promises of social media are just not where we are anymore. And that's okay. I I think everybody's got to realize that like, we're not going to go backwards. Chris, you and I said this super early on back in 2012 or whenever, 2010 or something. At some point, somebody's got to make money. 
I mean, that's the reality of this. That's the business that we're in. When you talk about mass media, which is what this is, you know, it's advertising supported or subscription supported. Like that's kind of your two options for the most part. So the idea that we're going to go back to a day and age where we can target all kinds of folks for various reasons. And it's always like, well, we're not going to abuse it. Like, you know, we hospitals or we, my organization or whatever, you know, we need to be able to have these targeting options because we're putting really meaningful content slash options or education or however you want to frame that in front of people. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, sure, that's true. But that's not going to change anything because they can't, they can't. Like, that's not how this works. We can make the argument around, you know, misleading content and content that's not correct and health misinformation and some of that kind of stuff. But again, that's a little bit of a different topic here. But it's just we're, we're not going to go backwards. So we've got to start thinking about, okay, well, what does this mean for us going forward, right? Well, let's do this, Reed. This is a great time to take a quick pause, and then you and I will come back and talk about what we consider the new role of social media in hospitals and health settings, because there is a way forward. It's just a little bit different than what we thought. We'll do that right after this break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, so good news. All is not lost. <laughs> no, there still is a real opportunity uh, with social. And uh, what we used to call it new media. Is mm-hmm. that what we called it mm-hmm. back in the day? Chris, I had somebody ask me the other day if uh, she's she's a senior in high school and going to college and said, uh, hey, did you always know this is what you wanted to do? Like like when I was in college, you know, whatever. And I said, well, to be fair, the Internet didn't exist. So, no, I didn't. And I think the point there is, I don't know where we're headed. Like nobody knows what five years from now is going to look like online, but we do know a few things that don't change for us. And so I think you have to look at all of these and that's what we're about to go through. What is core to our business? And then how do these kind of interface with that? Right. What we're calling the new role of social media. That's right. So the first one that you called out in your presentation, which I thought was really good, is, is about reputation. And we've talked about online reputation a number of times, but certainly when we think about online, yes, there are search results and you know other third-party sites and things like that, but social plays a huge role in how people research and find out about us and talk about us after they've had an, you know, an interaction with us and things like that. So you've got the opportunity to do research around thematically what's happening in your community with your competitors, things like that. But even after people have engaged with you, you know, service recovery and not just service recovery, but even reward and recognition, you know, you may hear great things about, the folks in food service or a nurse on three East or whatever it is that you can use in processes that you already have around rewarding and recognizing those individuals. But certainly it does give you an opportunity, not just on sites where they can like choose stars, but where they can leave comments and things like that and give their feedback ability to connect with the consumer and and do service recovery. Right. 
Yeah. And don't forget in a hospital and health setting, that means you might have to train your service recovery people on how to respond on social media. That is certainly something you want to think about. Yes. Here's another role that I, I really feel social media can do well with read in this new age. It's social media is an incredible market research tool. What I mean by that is you still have the ability for people who follow you and interact with your content to understand who they are. You and I have talked about building out social media personas before. If you can identify and and create these personas around the different people that have taken the, the effort to like your accounts and interact with your accounts, you could build these really interesting, unique persona groups and start to use all the models that we do for other types of market research and other types of targeting that we do through our CRMs and try out content unique to that channel to see how it performs. And the content that works well in those channels can not only be used then to amplify within those platforms, but you could take those concepts and then take them back to other channels. Because if they like it on social media, Mm -hmm. chances are they're going to like it in your email content. They may even like it on your website content. Now, I'm not saying put vertical videos on your website. Not yet. But I have a feeling that may be coming in the future, Reed. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Mobile first. Mobile first. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So use social media as a market research tool. Yeah, I like that. Third on the list, uh, we just told you why advertising was terrible, and now I'm going to tell you why it's good. There still is an opportunity for paid. Chris, I was looking at, you know, we're fortunate that we've got one instance of Epic across our whole organization. And pulling some of those numbers, the realization was if I looked at all the markets that we serve across the country, 92% of, of the communities of our combined service areas are represented within our instance of Epic. 92%. Then that immediately tells me that we don't have an acquisition problem. We have a retention and leakage problem. So when you start thinking about advertising and you start thinking about the people that are already connected to your organization, like that's where you can spend your time. The step before that you just talked about doing that research and then rolling into this idea of advertising of saying, okay, if I know who these people are and I know what they care about, I know how they've already interacted with us or engaged with us, you know, things like that. There are ways that we can use social and paid and, you know, other kind of programmatic aspects and things like that. But certainly social, uh, as we think about care gap closure and reactivation and like the proactive and wellness pieces, uh, things around brand affinity, you know, stuff like that. So I think there's a real opportunity to kind of rethink, you know, the types of messaging and the types of campaigns that we're pushing through these channels, knowing that either they're already connected to us as a consumer or maybe even an employee. So what does that mean? Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, start thinking of social media as an advertising channel. So the people that do your digital advertising and other channels should also be aware and you should benchmark your data on social against native advertising or Google search terms or whatever, because you need to start thinking of social as an advertising channel and start to develop benchmarks and see how it can actually lead to conversions and the other thing, which actually leads to the fourth and final point, Reed, which is the engagement on social media is important, but it's not the engagement that the social channels want you to think it is. It's not about commenting and liking. That's still important. That gives you, tells you the health of the content on your social channel. 
but those native social metrics don't really matter. The important thing here is even though Facebook and everyone else doesn't like you to do this, you want to use social as a way to get them off of the social platform before they move off themselves, before they give up on you on Facebook or whatever, and go on to Twitter or Be Real or wherever they're going. And you want to move them into first-party data. You and I have talked about first-party data, building your own customer lists. Do what you can to engage them so that they come to your site, they come and they opt in to wherever you're collecting first-party data. Because the ultimate goal is you want to build a relationship with them directly. And so getting them into your CRM, engage them by driving their call to actions into, hey, you like this content on social, we have a whole email newsletter program that we'd love for you to be aware of. Maybe sign up, sign up, sign up here, you know, and then suddenly now you have them directly. I think you and I do a pretty good job of asking people to sign up to our TPS report every week. Yeah. And the reason why is because we want to know who our audience is. We don't want to go through and use weird shifty metrics on podcasting to understand who you are. We want you to opt in so we can understand who you are and who we're reaching on our level we're not using it for anything else, but just to understand our audiences better. That's the same with social media, with Facebook, with TikTok, with all of these. Try to get them off the platform so, and get them into your own first party data. Yeah, I don't think you can. Again, this leads into conversations around CRM and marketing automation and drip campaigns and all that kind of fun stuff. But you can't undersell the idea of having that house list uh, of bringing people in. And it's not so you can market to them. I want to be real clear. It's not so we can try to sell them stuff. Folks need what we provide, but they need it specifically related to them. And there's no real good way to do that unless you're able to personalize that. And you can't really personalize it unless you, you know, have a better connection and relationship. So I think that's where the opportunity ultimately leads. This is just a good kind of entry point to start those relationships in a lot of cases or nurture them. So social media is not dead. It's just different, right? That's right. For those of you who listened all the way through from the beginning, this isn't clickbait. That's actually our point here. So we'll take a brief pause and read. You and I will be back to close out the show. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. All right. Well, special thanks to, I guess, the two of us. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I kid. This is just a good topic we felt would be something because of our backgrounds and kind of how we met and the history and all that stuff. Be something fun for us to talk through. And certainly, Chris, with your prep around this topic for that recent conference, it made sense to kind of share some thoughts. It was both top of mind for us. So appreciate everybody tuning in, hanging out with us. Certainly, though, if there are folks we should have on the show, topics we should cover, all that kind of fun stuff, reach out and let us know on said social media channels that are not dead, like Twitter and LinkedIn, or you can send us an email. If you listened very carefully early in the show, you would know my Gmail email address that 
I don't check. So again, go back to just the LinkedIn. But let's do this. TPS report, sign up for that. Touchpoint.health. That gets you that email once a week with some articles to kick your week off. We'd love for you to do that. Certainly, you can also send us notes through the through the website as well. Again, touchpoint.health. And then let's uh, do a couple of recommendations and we will call it a week. Okay, Reed, I'm going to do a rare thing and give a recommendation that's only for those people that have facial hair that like to trim their facial hair. So I think you're excluded, Reed, right? Because you have a full beard and mustache. Well, I didn't mean I'd trim it. Well, okay. I recently was in the market to buy a new electric razor. Okay. My old razor kind of died and I was like trying to go through and figure out exactly the best razor for me is. I used to have, you know, kind of a fancy, you know, type of razor that you could, you know, I keep myself clean shaven and stuff like that. And it worked well. And I wanted to see what are some of the newer, the best ones that are out there. And I landed on one that just happened to be, after I started to do my research, what they consider the barbershop favorite razor. So razor that's used at barbershops professionally across the country. And it's the Andis Gold Titanium Foil Shaver. Okay. It's one of the simplest, smallest form factors. It's a straight edge electric razor. So what I mean by that is it it doesn't like kind of go around the curvature of your chin or whatever. You kind of have to use it in a certain way. It has a lithium ion battery that probably the longest charge. So when I go traveling or whatever, it's a small form factor. I could throw it in there. The Andes foil shaver is probably, and it's, uh, and by the way, it's like kind of middle of the market in terms of price. I happen to love this razor. I've been using it now for a couple of weeks and it gives one of the cleanest shaves I've ever had. Little razor bumps, and I, you know, particularly around the neck. This is like one of the closest shaves I've ever done, and it's so easy to use, so simple, and it kind of looks cool too. Not like I'm shaving in front of people, but you know what I mean. It's just like has a cool looking form factor. So that's going to be my recommendation this week: is the Andes Profoil lithium plus titanium shaver and you can get it on amazon there's actually a a special promotion right now if you go out there to get it if you're in the mood for a razor and by the way they have many different colors styles whatever so it looks really cool that's my recommendation nice like it you're right i probably won't use that (laughs) Uh, i mean i may i may someday you never know when you go back to being clean shaven as you were at one time that's right all right, I'm going to recommend a uh, an app, a game for your iPhone. I don't know if they make this. I'm assuming it's on Android as well. But I have an iPhone. It's in the App Store. It's called Two Dots, like T-W-O-D-O-T-S, Two Dots. And it's just a kind of mindless puzzle game, you know, that you can play on your phone when you're sitting in the airport or whatever it is. But basically, you connect matching dots to solve fun puzzles. It's pretty much that simple. It'll make sense once you see it. It's kind of a fun game. I was looking at the description, however, here on the App Store, and I am disheartened to learn that there are 4,325 levels. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That seems maybe a bit much. And there is some kind of uh, Where's Waldo kind of puzzles as well, you know, where you got to find certain things like in a picture. And anyway, it's just, it kind of works with my personality. I don't want a game that's going to take forever. Like, I just want to, like, play around, you know, and then, like, move on with my life, you know, kind of deal. Uh, So things like Yahtzee, 
chess, this game, et cetera, uh, work well for me. But anyway, yeah, two dots, it's free. I think there's, I'm certainly there's a paid version that you can cut out some ads and that kind of thing, but it's worth it. And it's, uh, it's kind of fun, addicting. I have to confer with you. I actually have that on my phone and I do use it. And it is a good, like really quick game while you're waiting in line or, or you're sitting and waiting for the airplane to come. And it's, I think it's a beautiful design too. So I'm going to second your recommendation. I'm going to jump on there and give you a thumbs up. Nice. 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 Well, very cool. Well, thanks everybody, certainly for uh, tuning in, for listening to another episode of Touchpoint. Appreciate the support. If you will rate, review, subscribe, or if you happen to be listening or streaming, tell a friend, tell a colleague. We certainly appreciate all the support. So for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.